2: It's Richard up first. Good morning, Richard.
0: How are you doing, Bob?
2: Great, thank you. How about you?
0: Not too bad. Uh, We've been at our place for about four years, and from what I could tell, the original yard was common bermuda, Uh and every year I've put Medina Growing Green. Um, Every other year, in addition to that, I've probably used some Medina Soil Activator, Okay. and I have my own compost tea brewer that I've used. And I put one application of of compost about two years ago, Mm -hmm. and I I still have a yard that's overrun with, I believe it's oxalis, dandelion, and clover. So what am I doing wrong?
2: Well, you probably, is it in absolute full sun?
0: It is. It is 100% full sun, except for maybe about 20% of the yard, which is underneath a 15-foot oak tree. But the rest of it is total
2: sun. Well, the things I will tell you about Bermuda is it loves uh, a lot of fertilizer. It loves a lot of water. And the if you you know if I'm really trying to get my Bermuda to thicken up, I'm probably going to fertilize it maybe four times a year. Once you achieve that, you should be able to cut back to as little as once a year. But um, sometimes if you're in thin soil. And keep in mind, last year we're all thinking about how wet we are, but up until September, we were in a very severe drought. Um, is uh, your, your Bermuda's probably still brown now? Isn't it? It hadn't really started to grow in this spring. There's
0: some- emerald green but but i will admit the only water i've given is what mother nature's provided
2: yep and that that was tough uh you know may june july august um that is you know and that's the nice thing about bermuda it can go through a severe drought and it will survive but that's also a time that it ought to be putting on a bunch of growth i think you're going to be positioned for a real good recovery this spring and um i you know i'd the water guy in me is never going to tell anybody to get out and overdo it on water in your grass. I can tell you that when mother nature lets up and I hope it'll be several months, we have the potential, even though this is a very weak El Nino, my one meteorologist in the world that I trust tells me that it's likely to continue for another three or four months. So, if you haven't fertilized yet this spring, put some more of the growing green on there. Do it again in about 60 days, and then I think you'll be well-positioned. Even if uh, even if we do move back into a dry spell, I think you'll see that Bermuda thicken up. Uh, where your Bermuda has browned out, you can certainly spray the vinegar and orange oil mix and kill out very quickly dandelions and, uh, and henbit, and, and you'll burn back the oxalis. Uh, Without hurting the Bermuda, the vinegar and orange oil doesn't hurt anything at all where it hits brown foliage. The oxalis or oxalis, if we want to be botanically correct, which I don't. um, It is actually working to soften the soil just like the clovers do. It is a legume. So I'm not real concerned if it were mine and I have some of the same thing. um, I would be just mowing a little bit more regularly. But if you're getting pressure to do something about weeds, vinegar and orange oil is all you need to do. But I I think you're going to see, and my Bermuda hasn't really started growing at all. Sunny days, I'm seeing a little bit of it sprout up in some of my flower beds and things. But uh, um, I I think you're going to be in a lot better position this spring. I think you're suffering from drought more than anything else, and I sure wouldn't be going to any you know great extremes Richard I think it's uh, I think you're going to do fine I think it's uh, the lack of water last year that kept it from thickening up as much as you would like to have seen
0: okay thank you much
2: check back with me after it starts coming out this spring and let's see how it's doing and we'll talk about if there's anything else you need to do we'll do all thank right you. thank you very much bye all right let's see here next up is Michael good morning Michael Hey Bob, how you doing? I'm doing well. It's going to be a warmer day, and that's fine by me.
3: <laughs> oh God! Hey, just have two quick questions. I uh, I have a La Pelusiana peach tree, uh huh, and I trimmed it up, and you know, it's I'm excited for it this year. In fact, I've noticed the buds already coming out. Right. Um, but I'm, is there anything else I can do to help her? You'd recommend to kind of get it prepared for this season. You know, one of the things I've noticed—I've noticed kind of the, the the little gooey. I'm not sure what it is. If it's moors or mice coming in at the around at the base.
2: If you want to, and this is a fairly young tree.
3: I've had it for
2: about three, four years. Yeah, that makes it a pretty young tree. Uh, and the root flare is exposed. You've got the soil pulled back to where you see those roots uh, sprouting out. Yep. Okay. Yep. Then I, all I would tell you to do is fertilize it. Uh, you've thinned it out. You've done your pruning for the year, haven't you? Yep. Yeah, I I would probably, if you haven't fertilized in the past couple of months, I'd put some more fertilizer on, and then i just sit back and, you know, and hopefully enjoy a good peach crop. Some mulch out over the root system, not up against the trunk but I find a couple of inches of organic mulch really reduces the chance of having any insect problems. And um, we'll take a look when the foliage comes out, if we've got any yellowing going on, we may go with a little bit of magic sand or green sand or something like that. But in decent soil on a La Feliciana, you know, good organic fertilizer like Medina's probably got all the iron you need. So I'd say you're in good shape. The main thing is For work sure, whatever yeah. mojo you can to be sure we don't get a hard freeze since the buds are starting to swell.
3: Yeah. Well, the other quick question I have is, I have a Champagnelle grape that has been bathed up about five or six years, and it's been last year was like it was a uh, bumper crop, and yeah. and I thinned out again this year, but I'm just I'm do I need to thin out more? I've got I mean I've got uh, vines that are going 20 feet one way and 20
2: feet another way along my fence line. Well, we thin them out pretty heavily every year. I can't tell you without seeing whether you've done as much as you should. Most people don't do enough. You'll still get good production. The grapes just probably won't be quite as big. The bunches won't be... Quite as big because uh, people just they say I work to grow all that I don't want to take out eighty percent of the growth on the on the vine so you probably could stand to thin it a little bit more but I think you're gonna more. I think you're gonna get good grapes you know whether you do that or not it sounds like you're obviously have very vigorous vines you're taking good care of them if they've grown and spread that much so I'm gonna leave it up to you if you want to thin out thin them out a little bit more you'll probably get bigger clusters of grapes but I think you're Going to get plenty of grapes for eating or wine or juice or whatever as it is. So I'll leave it up to you whether you want to do any more with it or not.
3: Eighty. So just real quick, you said eighty percent. Generally, you thin about eighty percent each year.
2: That's how much I thin them out. Not cutting back, but thinning out. Yes, sir.
3: Okay, not good.
2: You've Very seen good. how vigorous they are. And uh, you, oh, are. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why you want to thin them vigorously to, to get nice big clusters. But Chabanel's going to produce regardless of what you do. But, you know, do you want 5 or 10 grapes in a cluster or do you want 25 or 30 grapes in a cluster? And that's what you that's will true. determine. Uh, you're, you're, I, let me put it this way. Your vine is likely to produce x number of pounds of grapes you can have however many pounds that is you can have that uh you know divided uh, among 50 clusters or you can have it on 10 clusters and uh, in other words 10 big clusters or 50 small clusters so it's up to you and the thinning that you do will depend on how those grapes are produced or will make the difference in how they're produced very good
3: Honestly, i do appreciate it Thank i you.
2: i do appreciate the call you get out and be safe and have a have a good sunday i'll move on and talk to randy good morning randy hey randy are you there yeah i'm here okay good morning
0: i've got a fire ant mound in
4: my lime tree This planted in a, a uh 30 gallon tub
2: you got a big fire ant mound in a thirty-gallon tub, and what's growing in that tub?
4: A lime tree.
2: A lime tree. Okay.
4: I'm just wondering if it is uh, bothering anything. Is is or how could I get those fire those ants out of there? Well, are, are you. They beneficial.
2: You dev. No, they are not beneficial in any way. The only only good thing fire ants do is kill out ticks, and I don't think have you have any ticks in your lime tree. So, uh, you do want to get rid of them. They in building their. They're tunnels, they kind of waterproof the soil and fire ants are known to carry scale insects and things around and actually bring insects in and put on your tree because then they feed on the excrement that the uh, that the scale leaves behind. Problem is, we can't drench the soil in that pot the way we would if this mound were out in the yard or somewhere, so we've got to kill the ants without uh, doing a whole lot to harm the roots of the tree. The place I would start is I would uh, get some diatomaceous earth, very inexpensive. It is an abrasive, and it kills the ants because it slices and dices when it gets down into their joints. So I would pick a warm day when the ants are active, I would stir up that mound a little bit, get those ants boiling out, and then just give them a good dusting. I, I would take a handful of DE. It's harmless to you. i just stand there, and I'd just be sifting that back and forth and back and forth. And every ant that you actually get some of that white powder on, it's going to kill the ant. And this is probably going to eliminate 95% of the ants. And that's what i do to start out. I'd give it a couple of days after that, and then there is a, a safe, non-poisonous bait made specifically for fire ants and harvester ants, uh, and it's called Come and Get It. It's by Fertilome, uh, and the active ingredient is spinosad, which is very safe for you and pets and family. And uh, so now we're down to having fewer ants. You don't want to stir up the mound when you put out your Come and Get It. Now, you just, you'll just want to go back and just sprinkle that maybe a couple of tablespoons on, on top of the soil uh, around your lime tree. Uh, the worker ants that are left will come and pick that up and take it down and feed the queen, and that should wipe out the colony 100%. So start out with a DE, wait two or three days, put out a little bit of come and get it, On uh, do it in the morning, do it on a warm day, and don't stir up the mound, and uh, within you know a, a day or two you should be totally free of fire ants in that pot.
4: That sounds good. I, I wanted to also tell you I found a cure for the cutter ants that were getting on my peach tree.
2: Oh, what did you do? I'm anxious to hear.
4: Well, you know how they make that definitive trail. You yeah. Can trail them for blocks. Yeah. Well, I ended up with the trail of the cut leaves because mm-hmm. they got too close to my chickens.
2: <laughs> okay.
4: My chickens ate every the whole colony everywhere.
2: <laughs> That's fantastic.
4: Yeah, I recommend about four hens per
2: colony, and they'll take care of your uh, cutter ants. <laughs> well, that's uh, you know, I, I have no problem with that. I, I, you know, and and as the uh, as I say, eat more chicken. Ten thousand owls can't be wrong. Um, just anybody that that knows how to raise chickens knows how to protect them at night. That'd be a great solution for cut ants. I appreciate you sharing with us, Randy.
5: Yes, sir. Thank you.
2: My pleasure. Thank you, sir. And goodbye. All
5: right.
2: right, Okay. There's there's your foolproof Mother Nature's answer to cut ants. You just have to protect the chickens from the owls and things like that. And Mike's up first. Good morning, Mike.
5: Good morning, Bob. Morning, sir. When's it going to rain? I'm so tired of this foggy, drizzly (laughs) keeping me at the window looking outside.
2: Oh, man, Um, you know, it's like my old friend Alton Grimm used to tell me, every day we're one day closer to the next good rain. Now, I got about a third of an inch yesterday, which is best that I've had in a few weeks. So uh, uh, the forecast does not promise us any heavy stuff anytime in the next 10 days. But what do they know? I think a thunderstorm can pop up anywhere. But uh, I do plants and not weather, and I'm not about to change that.
5: Well, that the only thing I do outside right now is take my wheelbarrow down and get a load of wood for the
2: fireplace. Well, and that's a very good thing to be doing.
5: Bob, I have a couple of questions for yes, you. Uh, a week or two ago, you would mentioned something about a fluorescent light. It was a CF something.
2: Uh, well, I was talking about compact fluorescents because a lot of people have your standard old light socket that you just screw You know, screw an ordinary incandescent bulb into. They make, and they have for a few years now. They make an actual fluorescent bulb that screws into that light socket, and that's what they call them is a a compact fluorescent bulb. Uh, You can find them at every grocery store, hardware store. Uh, There are also some LED lights out there. The LED lights are much more expensive. The compact fluorescents are about the same price these days as the. The, uh, you know, it's just ordinary incandescent bulbs. They even are making the compact fluorescent in the form of a spotlight. And what they're doing, they just put a real good reflector in there, just like they do in other spotlights. But the light source is, you know, is a fluorescent, is a gas uh, material as opposed to a tungsten filament. And they're quite bright, quite long-lasting, and much cooler Um, so anyway that's what we're talking about are the uh, basically a screw-in type light bulb uh, that is actually a fluorescent
5: well are are they mainly for helping the plants grow
2: they are mainly well they can certainly be used for helping the plants grow Um, they are often used because they don't create as much heat And they are certainly used because it takes less electricity with a fluorescent than it does uh, to get the comparable amount of light out of an incandescent light bulb. You use a whole lot more watts, you know, and that amounts to a whole lot more kilowatts, which means um more electricity used and there are a lot of negatives to that including your pocketbook so um they are much better than fluorescents as far as supporting plant growth but they are also much more energy efficient than your standard incandescent bulb
5: well i've been using a uh, i guess it's just like a shop light mm-hmm. it has a tube right. a little bulb in there about the size of a a pencil
2: yeah and that's that's one of the thinner but uh you know your your compact fluorescents that screw in are no better than that. I where you have a shop light that you can use a longer tube, I think those are better still because they produce more light over a larger area. Now there are there's more than one diameter of fluorescent bulbs and I can't remember which ones are the are the T forties and the T eighties, but uh Um, The only thing about the fluorescent, and it's true of all fluorescents, whether it's the compacts or the tubes, they break down over time. They continue to produce light, but the light that helps the plants, that portion of the spectrum diminishes with age. So uh, you want to switch those out periodically, even if they're still looking good to you. Ah, uh, the plant's not getting as much of the wavelength of light as it needs. So I would switch those bulbs out probably once a year. You know, for average use. But uh, um, you're not going to improve over a, fl- a fluorescent tube by going with any of your standard screw-in bulbs. If the tubes are, if the tubes fit the fixture that you have, keep on using it. Just maybe put some fresh tubes in there periodically.
5: Okay. Well, I've been using these mainly just for heat uh on the plants I have up on the patio to keep them from freezing
2: well they're not going to do much of that if you if you want something to produce heat you need a you need a bulb with a filament in it and you may even actually want to uh invest in a couple of what they call heat lamps that are designed specifically to put out more heat. That's a disadvantage both with the LEDs and with the fluorescents. I know up north they found out the hard way with their uh, traffic lights that when they went to the bulbs, it didn't produce much heat. The snow and ice built up, and people couldn't see the turn signals or, or the traffic signals, sometimes with disastrous consequences. So there are places that you need a hot bulb, and that is not where you want to use fluorescence of any sort, nor do you want to use LEDs in that particular situation. You want something that actually produces heat, and that's going to be most uh efficiently produced by an incandescent bulb and most efficiently by what they actually sell as a heat lamp.
5: Right okay well that takes care of that or I remember you saying that before but uh, the other question I had was on mothballs. bulbs. Mm-hmm. Uh, will they do any harm to the soil or to your plants if you put them around the perimeter of
2: your hothouse? Oh they certainly can and you don't want to breathe You know, the fumes that come off of those things, mothballs, uh, in my world, have no place whatsoever. They're basically something called naphthalene, uh, which is a really bad thing to be breathing, and it is hard on plants. It is, you know, it's it's basically basically poisonous, so I wouldn't be using mothballs for much of anything I can think of in in my garden.
5: Okay, well, I've heard of people putting them in their flower beds to keep the cats from doing their business there
2: well some cotton cotton balls soaked in ammonia will do the same thing without the uh without the negative consequences
5: okay i, would, I won't do you know, i won't use them i was just thinking about putting them yeah. around the perimeter
2: no of if, if if you've uh, if you've got an issue with uh pets or other wild animals getting into a flower bed uh, get some lava gravel, put it on the surface, and uh, if you want to use something that creates an odor that cats in particular, well, most wild animals don't like, uh, just some uh, cotton balls soaked in ammonia will do that for you.
5: Okay, well, thank you very much, and uh, pray for rain.
2: Amen. <laughs> hey, Appreciate the call, Mike. Thank you, sir. Okay, let's go ahead and talk to uh, Brian. Good morning, Brian. Good morning, Bob. How are you today? I'm good. How about yourself? <laughs> Oh, I can't complain. Wouldn't do hey, any good.
4: Um, no, nobody cares to hear about the problems, right? Yeah, that's um,
2: exactly right.
4: A couple, three weeks ago, I talked to you, and you told me about pruning my peach trees. Well, I didn't have time to get it done, and now they're full of blooms. Is it still too late to no. do a little pruning on them?
2: Go ahead and thin them out. Um, it, uh, you've caused the plants to expend some energy that you're going to cut off but a lot better to do it now before they start putting out leaves. And um, in some ways, you've got a benefit because you can take out the limbs that have the fewest blooms and leave the limbs perhaps that have more blooms, but uh, try to get it done as soon as you can, even if you have to put on a a raincoat or a jacket to do it. (laughs)
4: <laughs> okay. The other question I've got, so I, I, I put in a couple of uh, I don't know what variety of oak, but they're a pretty quick growing oak out mm-hmm. in the front yard a few years ago when we lost a big oak in a windstorm. Okay. And uh, they they they've got a beautiful round canopy and they're I don't know twenty feet tall. And the problem is, is they they provide great shade to my grass, mm-hmm. which no longer exists.
3: <laughs> And I know
4: you've talked about it before, but I can't really remember. Is there a grass that grows well in indirect light, or do I need to be looking at some other kind of a cover crop like that that kind of shrubbery-looking stuff that only gets a couple inches
2: tall? Well, it's totally up to you. Our most shade-tolerant grass is St. Augustine. Specifically, there's a variety called Palmetto. There's a variety called Delmar. And it will grow as a reasonable lawn with lower light than any of the other Bermudas or Zoysias or and St. Augustine. So if you you want a grass, those are the two. Palmetto and uh, Delmar are are the two that you can try. But there's a point when it gets too shady for any grass. And at that point, you need to be thinking about Asiatic jasmine, English ivy, ajuga, dwarf monkey grass. Uh, there are a bunch of different ground covers that you could substitute for grass, but um, the choice is strictly up to you.
4: Well, this being on a slight slope, I'm having some erosion now, and and I don't want the uh, the soil being that it is. I I don't want to lose what little topsoil I've got and end up exposing a
2: bunch of the uh, the roots of the tree. Sure. The tree's not going to really care, but I'm with you about conserving soil. Um, The best way to stop erosion, of course, is just grass sod. But long-term, if you find that it's just not getting enough light to grow well, I'd maybe gradually switch over to something like dwarf monkey grass because it is so dense, it's going to totally stop erosion as well. It's just going to take a little longer and cost a fair amount more, and it's going to be a little slow to fill in. So uh, to solve the problem tomorrow... I do, uh, you know, the, one of the sods. Long term, I'd be thinking about what you're going to replace it with. Thank you so much, Bob. Wealth of knowledge is always. <laughs> it's always a pleasure, Brian. Good to hear from you. Thank you, sir. You too. Good morning, Joaquin.
1: Yes, sir, Bob. Good morning. Good morning. I've got a fence line down here at the ranch that we were clearing out, and uh, I found four wild chili pakeens. Okay. And I wanted to save them from the dozer coming the next morning so i dug them up and brought them to my house and planted them right away in my yard they were they weren't out of the ground for more than two hours okay what's the best way to get them get them going and make them last
2: well um hopefully we're not going to have to worry about any more freezing weather if we get any more down in your area you probably you know you'll want to cover them I would water them in either with uh, Super Thrive or a little Garrett juice or actually a mixture of both uh, just to get some roots reestablished, get them spreading out a little bit more. Beyond that, I, you know, you don't want to keep them soggy wet. Mother Nature keeps just drizzling and dumping little bits of rain on us. But uh, I'd, I'd water them in good with something to uh, get those roots started. And a couple of weeks, I'd start every couple of weeks hitting them with a little liquid fertilizer, like Has to Grow or maybe one of the Happy Frog products. And uh, I think you'll have a bumper crop of jelly pecanes.
1: All right. And then uh, two of them were pretty big and leggy. You know, they were kind of growing up through some white brush. Uh Uh huh. Should I prune them back pretty far? You know, because they, you know, the root ball came up, but it wasn't a whole lot of roots. And
2: well, it's just going to be wait and see how they do. Remember that every leaf on that plant is generating and storing energy. And uh, so you certainly don't want to take all the leaves off of it right now. Now, when they start putting on new growth in the spring, when you've got new leaves coming out on them, if you want to cut them back a little bit and make them a little bit more manageable at that time, you can. But right now, they need every leaf on them to try to survive.
1: Okay. And then sun, do they, I've been told they do better in shade, but then I've seen that do really good in the sun. <laughs>
2: If you can water them, they're always going to produce more peppers. They're always going to grow better in the sun. But with South Texas drought, the ones that are in the shade always are a little bit prettier plants um, simply because they don't dry out as quickly. So if you've got these up to your yard where you are going to be able to water them, if it gets real dry, uh, the more sun they get, the more peppers you're going to get, the more uh sun they get, the better the flavor and the peppers are going to be. So sunny spots, a spot for that I think you want to put them and keep them. All right. Well, I sure appreciate it. I appreciate the call. You get out and have a great Sunday. You too. Thank you so much, Joaquin. <laughs> Goodbye. All right. Uh, let's see. Halfway up the board next up is Janie. Good morning, Janie.
6: Good morning, Bob. Good morning. Uh, good to hear your voice again. Well,
2: always a pleasure to talk to you.
6: Okay. I uh, went and bought some vinegar, and uh, it's the kind you've been talking about. And I have orange oil, mm-hmm. and uh, what I want to do is kill weeds. Right. Now, my concern is uh, the weeds. I have been. I haven't been able to get out there and work like I like to. Okay. But uh, I've got roses and weeds all over. Mm-hmm. Now, do I cover my roses with something so that that uh, uh, vinegar that I'm spraying to the weeds won't hurt hurt my uh, roses.
2: Well, if you're using a spray- sprayer like I would use I'm just going to keep that spray nozzle I'm going to keep that wand close to the ground and uh you shouldn't uh, you certainly shouldn't have to cover your roses if I get up real close to plants and I'm worried about the spray getting on them I'll just keep a big piece of cardboard in one hand I'll just hold that up against the the rose bush and just spray all the weeds in front of it and that cardboard's going to keep the spray from going over and hitting the leaves on the roses and that's all you have to do you don't have to go to a lot of trouble, you know totally covering up individual plants before you spray the weeds around them that That would be totally unnecessary and uh, lots more work than you need to be doing and uh you, Of course, you want to pick a a calm day you don't want to spray when the wind's really blowing but oh. um no it's it's uh you're not going to have to do a whole lot of work just just try to keep the spray down low and off the roses, right. and if you have to get up too close like I say i mean you could use a uh, you know a a piece of almost anything cardboard's just cheap lightweight and easy and in our business we generate a lot of cardboard boxes so i'm just gonna cut myself a piece i can hang on to and use it and throw it in the recycling when i get through with it
6: okay now i got another question okay going to probably say, why did I do it? (laughs) But I went to Walmart. Well, I didn't, but they killed me. (laughs) Okay. And I saw some roses,
2: Uh
3: but they're
6: in this plastic bag. Uh And I've never, ever bought anything like that. Now I'm wondering, how do I put them in the ground or do I have to put water inside of them to keep them alive until I can put them in the ground?
2: Well, you have to put some water enough to keep them alive. I mean, you don't want them standing in water, but uh you don't ever want to let a rose bush get bone dry. So, yeah, you're probably going to have to put a little water down in that bag every few days until you can get them planted. Hopefully, um, you'll be able to get them planted pretty soon. Between now and then, um, you need to water. If somebody said, uh, hey, you're not going to be able to plant those things for six weeks, you've got to do something else, I'd take them out of the bag and plant them in a plastic nursery can with soil. But if it's only going to be a few days until you plant them, just, just be sure that they don't ever dry out. Just water them as much as you need to to keep them moist and get them planted as soon as you can. Now, here's the only problem with those... Uh, Discount house specials and the roses they sell in the plastic bags is many times, they're almost always grafted roses. And you can graft the same rose onto a bunch of different rootstocks. And so you, you can't just look and say, hey, this is a Belinda's Dream, this is a Chrysler Imperial, this is a Mr. Lincoln. Uh, you have to know what the rootstock was to know whether it's going to grow well in San Antonio. And unfortunately, some of those roses in the plastic bags were grafted onto an East Texas rootstock called Dr. Shregan, and they're not going to really perform real well. If, uh, if it was one of the West Coast companies, they're probably using a rootstock that's going to be just fine in San Antonio. So look down there and see what it says as far as the nursery they came from. If they came from Lindale, Texas, well, you could have done better. If they came from somewhere in California, they're probably going to be just fine for you. So plant them where you normally would plant the roses, lots of sun, good soil. Uh, but do keep the roots moist until you're able to get out and get them planted, Janie.
6: Okay. Thank you very much.
2: Anything else I can help you with today?
6: Uh, just about that. Uh, okay. Do do you, camellias? Do you sell camellias?
2: We get some camellias. Camellias are a little bit more trouble to grow here, but we do get some of the spring-blooming camellias. We don't have them in yet, but check with us around the 1st of March, and we get some. You want to plant them where they get a little shade in the afternoon and where you have good, rich soil, and they're never going to look like they do in Tyler, where I was born. But uh, you can grow camellias here, and you're a good gardener, so I think you probably do okay with them.
6: Yeah, I've got one, and it's blooming right now, oh, and I've got it in the shade.
2: Yeah, that's the right oh. place, and uh, they're so beautiful.
6: They are. Well, thank you very much for your help, okay? Yeah.
2: Always a pleasure, Jamie. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Certainly. Goodbye. Good morning, Alan. Good morning, Bob. I'm morning. a long-time listener, first-time caller. Well, I appreciate you calling.
5: Hey, I've got something in my backyard that's mostly... Mostly weeds and grass, but something is coming up, and it's actually like it's tilling the dirt. It's just real soft and spongy.
2: Mm-hmm.
5: Do you know what that is?
2: Are there little kind of grains of sand
5: there? Yeah, Pro- yeah.
2: It's, but prob- it's almost it's it's
5: almost everywhere.
2: Yeah, it's probably earthworms.
5: <laughs> oh, well,
2: that's and, a good thing, I guess. And well, it is a good thing, and they're being forced up because of all the moisture in the soil. But there's, you know, golfers hate earthworms because uh, I, I, when I used to play golf, I liked it because it gave me an excuse for why I missed that putt. But uh, you're just looking at earthworms in wet soil, and uh, it's a good thing. You can take a rake and kind of level it out if they get excessive. Uh, it's going to go away when it gets a little bit drier, and it's absolutely no cause for concern. Okay, well, thank you, Bob. I really appreciate that. Well, I appreciate the call. And uh, don't wait so long to call me again. I listen every Sunday, so I may do that. Yeah, I'll look forward to it, Alan. Thank you so much. Uh, Goodbye.